Attention Greendale students and welcome to Streets Behind, a podcast about the TV show community. Hosted by two friends who met on campus but couldn't hang out during the pandemic. So we started this podcast to stay connected. And together we come up with so many insights about the show and the characters that we never would have thought of on our own. We know it's not perfect, but if it was, it wouldn't be Greendale. So join us. You're already already accepted. accepted. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. should be working um well, i don't know you just want to jump into it yeah social psychology nice what's up everybody welcome back to our community podcast our community fan pod in which we talk about discuss and analyze maybe using that last term loosely um, our beloved sitcom community today we are talking about season one episode four the title of which is social psychology and joining me as always is my co-host, Sandy Caldrone. Sandy, good morning. Welcome to the show. Hi. I thought I would frame this again, just sort of talking about the three, you know, as I like to call them, big ticket items, like the things that I really wanted to maybe discuss. And then obviously we'll do our normal dips and dives and veers and tangents on some of the other other things that come up in this episode, because as always, there's so many things to discuss in these episodes. But maybe the three sort of larger plot points or, um, or series points that I wanted to talk about that come up in this episode. Number one, I guess one of the major plot points is the Duncan principle and the mm-hmm. Duncan experiment. So the psychological experiment that Professor Duncan is leading that ends up involving Annie, Troy, and Abed, uh, though they have different roles in the experiment. So we'll talk about that a little bit, um, particularly because it does say a lot about Abed as a character and his Mm -hmm. personality. The second thing I wanted to talk about was how you start to see these uh, interpersonal relationships form between the different characters. And in a sense, the centerpiece of that is Shirley and Jeff bonding Mm -hmm. but then you also see these offshoots of that like annie and abed becoming friends through the experiment uh jeff and britta's relationship there's even a moment between jeff and pierce where there's a sort of like pierce's wisdom to jeff or whatever Mm -hmm. but i thought that this episode did a really good job of sort of starting to draw out the interpersonal relationships and using uh different avenues or different combinations of people than we've seen maybe up to this point in season or excuse me in episode four although obviously still early days in the series and Mm -hmm. then the third thing I thought we would talk about it's part of this particular episode but it's also part of the you know the series of the show in general is we start to see more of the Greendale community so we have two characters that are introduced in this episode one who's like right front and center to one of the plot points which is Britta's relationship with Vaughn, Vaughn being this new character that's introduced, but also there are other characters that are introduced, quote unquote, in one way or another to this particular episode and then to the Greendale community, but also just the fact that we get an episode that includes both Chang and Duncan, you just get that expansion beyond the study group. So you get that larger Greendale community. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so those are sort of the three things that I had to maybe to maybe start with. So I thought we'd just jump in with, I guess, maybe the thing that starts it off right from the beginning is it's we'll talk about some of these interpersonal relationships, because one of the first things that happens in the episode is Shirley tries to connect with Jeff by walking with him from Senior Chang's class, their Spanish class to whatever the next class is that they're going to, they don't say. And Jeff, you know, immediately fakes like he forgot something in the room or whatever it was, you know, he contrives a way to get out of it. But that was right from the beginning. And that is a major plot piece and a major part of this show is that this particular episode is development of these interpersonal relationships. Yeah, did you have anything, did anything about that sort of strike you as... I don't know, important or (laughs) worthy of discussion for this morning? Well, yeah, I think you're right that we get away from the group dynamic and we're seeing more kind of pairs happen. And that's something that 
Abed actually comments on when he and Annie are having a, a moment together and she's asking him to join the um, Duncan experiment that she is, so she's taking Duncan's class and in order to be a part of this kind of clinical experiment, she has to bring in some subjects. And so she's asking Abed to do her this favor as a friend. And Abed comments that like, he thought that they were the kind of friends that don't really have stories together, like Chandler and Phoebe. Yeah. Yeah, right. The friends. So yeah, the friends illusion or reference, which mm-hmm. again is one of these like meta pop culture references. Yeah, you're right. And then, um, <laughs> wait, now that I think about it, he says something like Chandler and Phoebe. And then Annie says something I can't remember <laughs> what, but um, Abed calls her Chandler. Yep. So there was like a like gender reversal or whatever. Yeah, you know, you'd think he'd be Chandler, she's Phoebe. And he says, I'm like, okay, Chandler. <laughs> no, he's totally correct. She is much more Chandler than, than he is. We won't go down a friend's rabbit hole, but yeah, yeah. Well, he's, see, got it, he's got it correctly. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I was never like much of a, a fan or watcher of Friends. So I probably missed that. But even still like it's interesting because for me I thought oh that's an interesting way to kind of reverse the like you know your gender expectations which we talked Mm -hmm. about a lot in our show like how they flip your expectations whether it's with bad jokes or walking an inappropriate line or you know Mm -hmm. these sorts of things but that's particularly now to me more like it's it's an even better line that someone like you can vet it and say no actually character type wise much more on the nose or whatever like much more accurate yeah for sure that's funny. I did. I did forget about the Chandler and Phoebe line. So what did you think about the Jeff and Shirley connection or that sort of growing friendship or relationship? Well, I think it's a really entertaining one because um, they just kind of bring out each other's dark sides <laughs> and they spend their time bonding by making fun of other people, especially Vaughn. Um, but then also they do just some general gossip that that's outside of the realm of, of the rich minefield <laughs> that is Vaughn and all of his dumb characteristics that they get to make fun of. Um, so that's really enjoyable to watch uh, from the audience's perspective. But I can also see why within the show, they decide that they can't keep doing this because they're going to destroy their the group. At first, they're really kind of delighted to be able to kind of be catty with each other. Yeah. Um, and then they kind of get some consequences that come out of that. And then they kind of come back together and decide like, no, we can't keep going down this, this path together. And one of the consequences is Shirley reveals that she's already been kicked out of a study group this year. That is so good. Oh man, that is so good. But you just brought a couple things to mind. One, it was interesting how Jeff tries to back out at first. Well, I mean, at first he just tries not to like make that connection. But once they make Mm -hmm. that connection, he tries to back out because he wants to be a better friend to Britta. And as we'll talk about, one of the things they bond over is ripping on Vaughn, who was, Mm -hmm. you know, one of those aforementioned kind of new characters that expands the the Greendale Community College universe. So I thought it was interesting that at first, Jeff is like, no, I mean, I can talk about anybody, but I can't talk about Vaughn because I'm trying to be better friends with Britta. And then towards the end, Shirley's like, no, I can't do this. I can't do this. So they both <laughs> have that moment where they they have like that pang of conscience, like, no, I can't mm-hmm. do this or whatever. But you're right. It is interesting that both in terms of their realization as characters within the group, but I think also in a way like the showrunners knew, like this can't always be a bit, it just would lose yeah. steam. And also you wouldn't like, what's interesting about this show and many things are, as we've often said, is that that's a really good and accurate depiction of this kind of social dynamic. Mm-hmm. Because if you're in a group like that, and you notice that you and one other person kind of are the people that like to talk shit about everybody else, <laughs> you do sort of naturally be like, ah, we can't always do this. Cause yeah. either they're gonna know and like the group's gonna dissolve or else like, you know, you'll just feel 
you'll just feel shitty about it because you'll be like, yeah, but we're the people that are always talking about everybody else. I mean, I think, I feel like that's a real dynamic Mm -hmm. for like the way people interact in a group and those little offshoot like pairings is you do realize like which ones are going to be toxic for the group. I mean, it often happens with like dating within larger social groups. You know what I mean? Where people are like, yeah, as much as I would love to date you, we can't do this because this is going to like ruin this group. And it's, you know, I mean, obviously you make the decisions you want to make, but sometimes people do sort of put the group before the individual pairing and I thought that was one to my experience anyways I thought that was like a really accurate portrayal of how these things work obviously Mm -hmm. in a 22 minute span but you know (laughs) real lifetime I think that does that does happen eventually I think too like something else that happens that made me think oh yeah that's an accurate portrayal of how these things happen is there's a scene when early on when they're setting up the Britta and Vaughn connection that felt very true to college for me and so like I don't know how would you how would you describe Vaughn's character he's like not exactly like a hippie stereotype but he's kind of like a hacky sack playing you know barefoot um beaded necklace wearing dude who says things like tight and that just (laughs) reminded me of this um phenomenon me and some of my college friends coined like the interesting boy trap um which was I don't know if if you have an experience like this in college but my friends and I all had experiences where one of us would become kind of intrigued by this boy who was kind of at the periphery of like our, our social circle who seemed interesting and different. And um, it would always take us <laughs> way too long to figure out that that version of interesting and different was just bad in some way. It was, you know, dumb or manipulative or <laughs> um, dishonest. And um we had to date those boys in order to figure that out. Yeah. But then after it inevitably crashed and burned, our male friends were like, oh yeah, did you not know that from the beginning? That was super obvious. <laughs> That's so interesting. So let me ask you this about, about what, this story that you're sharing about like real life experience. So t- to kind of loop in the the title of the show, the social psychology, that's so much a part of the age college age typically I mean what's interesting mm-hmm. about Greendale is it's a range of ages and background you know but like yeah you put yourself back in the college age I mean did you feel like those boys that you had to sort of date to realize like oh yeah not as interesting as maybe I thought I mean was a lot of their interest or, or what made them intriguing like on a superficial level contrived I mean was yeah. a lot of it just like here's how I play interesting guy or whatever is like totally yeah yeah, yeah, yes and we were not (laughs) capable of seeing beneath the veneer without having to date that person (laughs) yeah 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 no but that totally makes sense that's an awesome that's such a good story and thanks for sharing that because I I mean you know it's funny I actually thought about like what is Vaughn because putting in putting this in you know, my context of like when I was going to school, college, late 90s, early 2000s, I thought, well, I'm not going to lie. I had longer hair. I had more and longer hair. I wore hemp necklaces, cargo pants, you know, (laughs) tie-dye shirts, probably kicked a hacky sack around once or twice. So yeah, I I probably knew Vaughn. I I knew some Vaughns. (laughs) I don't, I would like to think that I wasn't I don't think I was so much contrived because that had been my style going back to like senior year of high school. I just think I was, to put it mildly, influenced <laughs> and not necessarily by people. Um, <laughs> by um, whatever was being sold at Funky Monkey, I want to say. Yeah. Do you guys have Funky Monkey in Indiana? No, <laughs> no but, but that's essentially, yeah. Like, As yeah. The- the mall store that sold tie-dye if right 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 grew up yeah, in yeah. northern illinois yeah yeah like the head <laughs> shop or whatever the yeah. Like, yeah yeah so it's funny because i thought but vaughn's different because he's doing the hacky sack thing with no shirt 
and no shoe or sorry, no like socks and shoes. So he's barefoot, as you say, but like the no shirt thing was weird to me. Cause I'm like, nobody that I hung out with was like a no shirt wearing hmm. person. If anything, they wore one. like seven layers that included like a, <laughs> like a hoodie on the top. You know what I mean? They were like overdressed people for all occasions. You're like, why are you dressed for like a wind, like a winter storm in the middle of July? <laughs> like, um, but also he didn't have like, Vaughn, I mean, doesn't have like uh, dreadlocks or, you know what I mean? Or mm -hmm. even long hair, it's just kind of shaggy hair. So he is kind of an odd character type. But to your point, I, there is something that's very retro about him. And in fact, Jeff comments early, he goes, <laughs> oh, because one of Vaughn's catchphrases, like his catchphrase is no worries. Yeah. So Britta's like, hey, Vaughn, like, how's it going or whatever? He's like, no worries. And Jeff's like, really? I might be worried if I was playing hacky sack a decade too late. <laughs> but remember, this was 2009. I think that this episode came out. Uh -huh. And so that's about right. Because I thought, I'm yeah. like, yeah, that is right. Because like late 90s, I just dropped a pen. Everyone probably heard that. Um, <laughs> late 90s was like when I was in college and people were like going on fish tour and hacking it up in the parking yeah. lot or whatever. So it's a great question. I don't know. I guess I just call him like, uh, in terms of the show, he's obviously like a retro reference, but mm -hmm. he is kind of a, you know, he's kind of a neo hippie, new agey type. Yeah, there's definitely like a new agey bent to it. Like he's kind of um, shilling for green tea as a beverage. <laughs> <laughs> There is yeah. one like really weird little like background moment thing that happens with, um, I think it's right at the beginning of the episode where Britta and Vaughn are having a conversation and you as the viewer kind of come into the tail end of it. And Britta says something that's like, oh, I didn't know that's what asexual meant. And there's no explanation of what they were talking about. Dude, I love that you brought this up because I wrote this down and I noticed it. So nice. Jeff's walking into the cafeteria. They're standing by that little coffee shop. But he Vaughn does something where he like covers up his genitals and he says something about <laughs> a panda. And then he says something about panda balls. What? And then, yeah. It's even it, weirder. Yeah, he says something about, a, he's like, something like the panda, his hands, and he's like, panda balls or something <laughs> like that. And then you hear Britta crack up, and yeah, you're exactly right. She says, I never even knew that's what asexual <laughs> meant. <laughs> it's just like, what was that joke? It was so well done because it's one of those where you're just, you know, it reminds me of that Seinfeld episode where the punchline of the joke is something like, or it's a joke where it's like the Pope and Raquel Welch and are like in a lifeboat and it's got a was like a hole in the boat and Raquel Welch or one or the Pope one of them says like no I said grab the buoys or something like that it's but anyway it's like you don't know the joke you just know like yeah. part of it or whatever but it, that struck me as that same sort of thing but I'm glad you caught that because that was such a great background moment <laughs> and also the other thing is. The fact that they were using the term asexual or the yeah, fact that, was that pretty early days for that. Well, and the green tea thing, too, because everybody's mm. doing I mean, the number of times people are like, have you thought about switching to green tea? <laughs> and my response, Sandy, is always like, yes, I've, I've thought about it. I have cognized making a switch to green tea. <laughs> and I always get back to the same point, which is coffee. Yeah, <laughs> but I like the way coffee tastes and I like a little morning buzz. So like, yeah. if you want to make me feel guilty, go ahead. But uh, I'm sticking with coffee. And until I know I have an allergy or like it's making me unhealthy, then, you know, I'm drinking my coffee in the morning. I'm sure green tea would be better for me. It just sounds less exciting. Yeah, I'm just not up to it. We have that um, reminds me of my one college friend who would always end up taking his shirt off um had a similar response to anybody who tried to tell you know ask like if he'd you know let the lord jesus christ into his heart and he was mm. just like you think i wouldn't like to do that like if i could believe that i would it'd be way better to believe that but i just can't <laughs> that's a great response <laughs> i love that i've never even thought of that but when like you get stopped on campus like, do you think i wouldn't like to allow jesus yeah. into my heart <laughs> I, hey, I got space for Jesus. He's yeah. welcome. He just hasn't visited yet. Yeah, <laughs> He hasn't reached out to me. 
in this world where we're all reaching out, you know, have, why don't you have him reach out? Um, but the other thing too with Vaughn is, is right before uh, Jeff makes that comment about playing hacky sack too late, he does refer to it as the stoner tree. Mm. So that was interesting to me because growing up in Indiana, like you could tell by the way people dressed maybe what their weekend hobbies were, mm -hmm. but you couldn't really have like a stoner tree or like, you know, a stoner part of the parking lot because everyone would just get arrested. Yeah, because you know it's I, Indiana. Yeah, but I just thought it was funny that like that was the term they used was sto the stoner tree and that's where they were all playing, you know, hacky sack or whatever. But I did feel like there was something accurate about that, the way spaces get carved and territorialized yes. like in whether it's community college high school college mm -hmm. like you know lunch rooms or outside or the playground even going way back when we were like little kids there what there was like mm -hmm. you know yeah you just have your little clicks or whatever so I thought yeah. they that kind of struck a good note for me I was like yeah the stoner tree yeah, yeah you, you start to kind of like assign your own names to the to the landscape yeah yeah, exactly. And and then there's like some social identity that goes into that, which mm -hmm. is another reason I thought the title of this episode was great. This social psychology thing is you do, you group yourselves, right? And you have a mm -hmm. way that you see where you belong and you see where other people belong and you're judged where other people belong in their spaces while carving your space. And so I thought that was, that was really good. Even just something as, su as subtle as like the term stoner tree. The other thing that this kind of makes me think about is how much of this show, it's funny because it's a community college, but everybody hangs out on campus all day and everybody hangs out in the cafeteria. So it's yeah. much more like high school, the way they present it, but obviously it's they so have is. to. Yeah. Yeah. And they also seem to have kind of like the same class every day, which you'd never have yeah. in college. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's it's almost like it takes place on like a high school campus is what it looks and feels like. But I'm willing to kind of like give the show a pass for that because it's much more interesting to have these characters have a daily routine that they repeat all the time and allows them to interact all the time as opposed to like a more realistic, we're not watching this for the realism of the college experience. No, that's exactly it. I mean, you you concede it because how else would they make the show work? Yeah. You know, but it is just funny to me how high schooly it is in some ways and so different from my college experience. Yeah, just wasn't on campus all day. I lived on campus yeah. my freshman year, but I'd go to class, then go home, whatever. People have jobs, you know, those sorts of things. It's just a different schedule. But they do, though, hit these chords that are accurate, like being at yes. Purdue in the late 90s. You know, you could, there wasn't a stoner tree, but you definitely could tell the kids that were going to like fish tour over the summer. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And there were places in the mall where somebody would be kicking up a hacky sack. I mean, that's absolutely true. Or throwing a Frisbee. I mean, so it's interesting. They, they have to frame the show in a way just to get the show off the ground. That makes it feel more like a high school experience. And interestingly, at one point, Jeff in this episode says, he's like, oh my God, my life is like an episode yeah. of Degrassi High or something <laughs> like that. Or yeah, yeah, I think he says, my life is Degrassi High. Um, so it's, it's interesting. I think in a way they're kind of aware of it. Like, like yeah, this yeah. isn't really, but you know. And in so, the, so you have this like social psychology going on where you have these kind of, interpersonal relationships that that form within a group and then you also throughout the background of the episode you have Pierce basically just like trying to disrupt them um he's he's on his own for most of the episode he's just kind of the the rogue uh character and he's um trying to eavesdrop on people with his ear inoculars which I just so love and they so they introduce them in the beginning of the episode and Pierce brings the package that was shipped to him to campus so that he can unbox it in front of everybody. And somebody in props had to make a legit looking box that says ear inoculars and looks like it was commercially produced. And I just... It really love that props person who put the effort into that. And put it in like the bubble wrap. Yeah. Like, yeah, they had to like put it together. But no, it's so good, the inoculars. It also speaks to Pierce's age 
And he really yeah. is much older than the rest of the group. And he's always sort of ostracized for that. His like awkwardness with technology. I think it was the previous episode we discussed, episode three, where he was doing the voice command yeah, or whatever. And everyone's like, just use the button. Yeah, <laughs> voice command. Yeah, but it's true. So it's interesting. You get these connections. So you've got Shirley and Jeff who basically bond over... Well, it's funny too. here. One last thing I'll say about sort of the nostalgia piece for me. At one point, Jeff refers to it as bagging on people. And another yeah. point, Shirley says, says rip on that dude, meaning like Vaughn. <laughs> and I just thought, yeah, those are such terms of like, again, the generation that these writers and the showrunners are from in our generation. Like, I mean, rip was like a standard, standard term for me in high school and college. Like, I don't I, rip on me, man. Oh, just you just ripped on that guy. Yeah. So standard that I didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> But right, that was like the term yeah. that we used. And so I thought that was a great little nostalgia, just like callback to those late 90s or whatever. Or, you know, the I guess the people that would use that term. But so you have Jeff and Shirley bonding over that, their shared love of, you know, ripping on people, but then also just like some gossip. Mm -hmm. You have the other interpersonal thing going on where obviously Brit is dating Vaughn. Mm-hmm. But then Jeff's jealousy of that and Jeff's continued like trying to navigate the friend zone, even though he's attracted to Britta. You have yeah. Annie building a friendship with Abed and in some sense, Troy, because she gets mm -hmm. them to be in the experiment. And then you have, as you say, Pierce just literally hovering in the background yeah. of shots particularly while Jeff and Shirley are walking together in this newfound interest of ripping on people using his inoculars. And he has a great line at one point where he says, um, he calls them out to the group, uh, Shirley and Jeff, he calls them out to the group to say, you know what they're doing? They've been like making fun of all of us. And he's like, I heard it with my ear inoculars <laughs> and it's just, it's like such an amazing like comedic moment that you need like a, Chevy Chase to do it's just that pause and it's like it seems like it's not difficult to pull off that pause but there is like a micro physical timing to that like you can't yeah. make it too long or too short it's so perfect the way he just says ear and cuts it off and then just right at the perfect inoculars <laughs> great. yeah he nails it nails it as he does so much stuff so I mentioned this and we'll sort of move to the second kind of thing I wanted to talk about, which is one of the, you know, big plot points is the Duncan principle. Yeah. And we have Professor Duncan back in this episode. He's got this experiment about, you know, social psychology or maybe individual psychology, but the experiment is basically you get a bunch of test subjects in a room and tell them the experiment will start in five minutes and you perpetually tell them there's a delay. You'll start in five minutes and eventually People just start freaking out that they're waiting so long, they lose control and they storm out of the room. Mm -hmm. Annie wants to be part of the, the test unit. Like she wants to be part of doing or administering the psych, this you know, psych experiment. Mm -hmm. And then she gets Troy and Abed to sign up as subjects. And then you also have Professor Chang as a subject. And to sort of bring these two things together, the plot point... And then how we were talking about the emergence of like different members of the community, like say Vaughn, Garrett is in the room, but you never yeah. get his name, but Garrett's in the room. He's one of the, he's one of the experimenters, if you will, um, which I thought was, I, I didn't remember that. I didn't remember that Garrett was in the room and he'll become more, you know, like a, you'll get to know his name later. He'll become more of a familiar face, but I thought that was a kind of cool little yeah, just an emergence of another one of these characters beyond mm -hmm. the beyond the study group. But um, what were your thoughts on on the Duncan principle and the Duncan experiment? <laughs> I always love Duncan scenes on Community because John Oliver, he kind of similar to, to like you said with Chevy Chase, like he is able to really nail lines that shouldn't be that funny but his delivery really, really sells it. And he also is always willing to be a little bit like nuts. Like Duncan it has a weird short fuse and he has a, a spectacular meltdown in, in this episode where eventually Abed's ability to sit quietly in a room just completely undoes this experiment. He, the, the experiment totally unravels and Duncan has his own temper tantrum, which is 
awesome. And what I really came away from this scene with was, oh man, I wish I could see every take of the breakdown that John Oliver has and the breakdown that Donald Glover has because they're so funny and physical in these very different and weird ways. And I'm sure that it was almost impossible for like the crew to get through filming these scenes without laughing. You're right about John Oliver being, I mean, he plays the always on the edge about to break down Brit like so yeah. perfectly. But what's interesting is he's supposed to be doing this, you know, psychology experiment. And obviously he's the one who breaks down because they get the outlier that is Abed that yeah. never gets bothered by it. But that moment when Donald Glover crawls out of the room <laughs> with just his arms and like the rest of his body is just like limp and dragging on the floor is just so good but there's a moment before that too where he's sitting next to Abed and Abed's just kind of straight face but he's sort of like twitching and kind of like you know Donald Glover mm -hmm. is I mean it's just so good I forgot about that scene or at least the physicality of it like how mm -hmm. good Donald Glover is in that I guess what I thought was interesting too is in a, in a sense kind of absurd so we're at Greendale Community College, but they're doing <laughs> these social psychology experiments. And, you know, Professor Duncan is leading them and has a thing called the Duncan Principle, which as it turns out, he's never actually written down because when he tells everybody what it is and they start writing it down, he's like, oh, that's a good idea. I better write yeah. this down too. But I'm not saying that you don't have experiments or, you know, like test subjects at community college. I don't want to make it sound like that, but it's just funny to me that they set it up as such a real thing. We're like a couple weeks into the fall and it's like, it's Greendale. Everything here goes to shit. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean, but they're like have this serious psychology experiment they're running, you know, and, and also they said they gave everybody 80 bucks. Yeah, I did just like a quick take and there was like, I was like 14 people in the room or 18 or something <laughs> like what community college has like a couple thousand dollars to like give people 80 bucks, you know, for doing this. <laughs> doing this experiment I just thought yeah that's that's not how that works so it's kind of funny to me that they set it up as like such a serious thing and obviously Annie wants this like experiment or this experience for her CV or resume or whatever and like but then it's just like it's just it goes the way anything at Greendale would so you're like yeah obviously this wasn't going to work out I mean you know that going in the, the experiment itself is just so dumb. It's basically, <laughs> if you make someone wait long enough, they get pissed off at you and stop waiting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, the, the, the Greendale world kind of, like, has its own rules and standards. Like, this makes perfect sense within the world they've set up for themselves. Yes. But there's kind of, like, a, there's a little, like, extra layer of launching this as an academic that yeah. you get kind of an extra chuckle out of how much this wouldn't work. Exactly, exactly. And how this is not the process. One of the other background things I noted, sorry, this is a slight tangent, but just one quick background thing. In the background behind Duncan on the wall, there's a poster that says drugs in the workplace, really big on it. <laughs> and then underneath it, it says, <laughs> it says costs, counseling and clarity so it's this big poster <laughs> that says drugs in the workplace costs counseling and clarity but if you look at the image it's somebody's hand taking a little tiny coke spoon into a coke <laughs> into a coke file like getting ready to do a bump <laughs> Like, and they're like in like, they're in like, you know, like a button down shirt. <laughs> it's just like drugs in the workplace, costs, counseling and clarity. And it's somebody getting ready to like toot a line. <laughs> so is this poster suggesting drugs in the workplace? <laughs> That's what I can't figure out. That's what's so amazing. Because it's also, it's like costs, counseling, and, and clarity. It almost suggests, the wording or the rhetoric almost suggests, like, there's a way to get away with this. Well, or if there's you, a way to do it right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
exactly. Even There's a way to do this right. Number one, buy a tiny Coke vial with a tiny <laughs> Coke spoon. Because that's what you don't want to be conspicuous, you know? Yeah, I just thought that was funny. I know, like uh, I've said before, I don't always like pay attention to that stuff. But for some reason, this one just really stuck out to me this time. I thought it was a great poster and well, ambiguous and just, yeah, silly. There was another poster in the background that I noticed in this episode. Nice. And it's... Um, it was kind of small. And of course, you know, you see these things out of focus. So it's hard to tell exactly what you're looking at, but it seems to be a cluster of like old timey robots. And then there was text that said, fascism does not compute. Really? I, would, I didn't see that. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, I would put that on my wall. So like are the are the robots the fascists we should yeah. watch out for or are they anti-fascists who are protecting us? Yeah. <laughs> Although you would have to think the I mean yeah yeah, any society where robots are in charge has to be fascist, like on <laughs> principle, right? Like they work off of certain rules that have to that have to compute. Yeah, um, that's amazing. I'm so glad you caught that. I didn't see that one, and it's it's funny too. One of the things I was gonna say is because I noticed this poster. There's the panda balls asexuality <laughs> conversation in the background between Britta and Vaughn. There's um pierce hovering around in the background now you mentioned mm -hmm. this poster it is an episode where now watching it through this lens of kind of like you know more of like a critical focus on the show you i started to notice this is why people for years on like blogs or comment spaces whatever fan zones have talked about the easter eggs and the posters and the things that you see in the background that i was always sort of oblivious to but mm -hmm. this episode really brought that up to me and i've noticed it more like watching it this season or you know for our mm -hmm. show like you mentioned uh mr whitman going up the tree at the end of the last episode <laughs> yeah and there's an episode coming up where Abed has a very real subplot that's strictly in the background, but very oh, real. Yeah. I mean, it's like, it's something that you wouldn't not notice happening, I guess. It's again, I mean. playing with your expectations. Yeah, yeah. That, it's a, yeah. maybe it's a very intense subplot, maybe is a better yeah. word than real, but it's happening in the background. And, you know, obviously we'll, we'll talk about that when we get there. I guess, well, real quick, I should just ask, was there anything else about the Duncan subplot you, you wanted to get to? Oh, um, you know, I, I love that he yells about Abed being an outlying piece of datum, I think he yeah, says. Yeah, he does. Um, as somebody who works with data, it's just nice to see somebody express the rage of when you, it just won't work for you. That's funny. I did want to ask you about that, because but also the fact that he's grammatically correct with the use datum, or with the use of the word datum, I thought was just hilarious. It makes um, him seem more English, right? That even yes. in an outburst, it's the Queen's speech. <laughs> That's exactly. So sort of bringing all of this together or maybe just expanding on it. So if you have those sort of two, well, really these three things happening in the show where you have the expansion of the Greendale community with like Garrett and Vaughn, and you have the building of these pairings, these interpersonal connections beyond the group. And part of that is how it brings certain characters together in the space of this major plot point, which is the Duncan principle. One of the things I thought about this episode, and maybe this is like a more general comment, is this episode just really showcases the talent of the writers because they really did blend this stuff together so perfectly. Yes. You remember how the last episode we uh, you had mentioned that like in the first two minutes you get all the different subplots, just boom, just get thrown out there. Yeah. And we were saying there's so much going on and somehow they get it all into 22 minutes. I felt like in this episode, maybe there was a little less going on, but I thought it was like a really tight, really good fluid episode. Like they mm -hmm. got to all the different pieces of it, if that makes sense. Um, yeah, yeah. And they don't have to do like big transitions or to, to um, set the stage. It all kind yep. of flows. Yeah, it's exactly what I thought. I felt like it just was all kind of tightly wound together the way it works. One of the interpersonal relationships that does get revisited is Jeff and Pierce. So towards the end of the episode, mm -hmm. Jeff's on the outs with Britta. He doesn't really want to hang out with Shirley because he's afraid they'll go down that road of like ripping on each other. So he sits down next to Pierce and they have a moment where Pierce 
says, and actually I thought it was like kind of profound. Pierce says something to the effect of, oh, he asked, Jeff asked him, where's your inoculars? He's like, oh, it turn, as it turns out, I don't need them because we should just be focusing on the conversations that are happening in this space. And Pierce does a sort of hand gesture to be like, you know, like your immediate bodily yeah, per personal space, space. Yeah, your yeah. personal space, your three feet or whatever that cultural mm -hmm. you know, vision of that is. And he says something to Jeff, like, because the people that are in this space talking to us are the people we love. That's not verbatim, but that's mm -hmm. basically the point. And um, I wondered what your thought was on that, because it's another one of those moments where Pierce, though he's the bumbling idiot who can't figure out the technology and is always in the background and not really part of the show. He's been ostracized a bit by the group already. But he has this moment where it's like, oh, shit, like that's a really good lesson. And because I thought about it in our current climate. Mm -hmm. of being socially isolated and physically distanced i'm not gonna lie it kind of hit me this morning where i was like oh yeah that's that's true <laughs> you know like yeah in the sense that people that you're willing to engage in longer like physical face-to-face -face conversations with are people you really care about mm -hmm. you know when you're at the grocery store and someone's like walking by you like your carts are passing you know down an aisle I'm still a little like I hope this person doesn't like cough on me right when they walk by you know what I mean right like, yeah you're just like oh, I don't really want to be like this close to like a stranger and it's nothing about the person they are but it's just like yeah. oh you feel that like fear of the pandemic whereas like uh, I think I might have mentioned to you if not on the show like my family and I have been in a pod right like mm -hmm. early on like last March a year ago now we made this like hey we're going to be in like a pod but like at one point I went to like give my parents like you know like a hug or whatever and, and you know even my dad was like is that okay I'm like yeah like I, you know <laughs> god damn it we're in this pod we're family like yes I'm giving you a hug you know because we're like socially isolated but it's funny because or maybe not funny it's actually kind of sad because a lot of things have come out this week I don't know when this episode will come out but it'll be after the fact but this week March 10th 11th of 2020 we are now in mm -hmm. 2021 but it's like the one year anniversary of all these things shutting down and like america mm -hmm. shutting down and it was an interesting line to hear this morning you know from pierce no less that like hey what really matters is the people that make it into this physical bubble because those are yeah. the people you love and for people that decided like who's going to be in my pod and who's not across the country and the world that probably was the one criteria that maybe was universal <laughs> was like do I give a shit about that person you know um so I don't know I just I wonder what your thoughts were on that because it was kind of a interesting moment in our history one year after the you mm -hmm. know the, the lockdown or the shutdown or whatever to see that line especially from that character yeah I think that it had more weight in this context than when I when I first watched it. But this is a good example of what I love about the Pierce character is that he's such a dick most of the time yep. that he can have these really sincere moments without it being annoying or saccharine, um, <laughs> that that contrast works really well. And I think, you know, later on down the, down the line as characters come and go and Pierce is eventually phased out of the show, like that that aspect doesn't get replaced. That leaves with Pierce when, when he leaves the show, that that was kind of like special to him. Um, and it also, it reminds me a lot of um, Frasier. I don't know if you've like rewatched Frasier in, in present times, but like mm -mm. he has kind of a similar contrast where he is such a pretentious douche for so much of the show that you really don't mind seeing him fail miserably by the end of the episode. <laughs> but mm. Pierce is kind of uh, the, the opposite. Frazier fails at the <laughs> end of every endeavor, but Pierce kind of has these moments of, of heartfelt clarity that you tolerate because it's coming from such a weird source. It is. It's an interesting juxtaposition as opposed to seeing the like one of the lead characters who's very pretentious fail in the end and get their comeuppance and, you know, get that humility, that dose of humility that in a sense is supposed to be the lesson, right? Like we should mm -hmm. all be, you know, have some humility with, I mean, it's kind of a humility thing, but it's the opposite direction with, with Pierce. He's such a dick and he's just so judgmental and racist and sexist and all but then mm -hmm. sometimes and i think we talked about this in one of our previous shows is that 
he is somehow, and maybe it's because of his age, like a voice of wisdom. Yeah. And he does have these moments where he gives like genuine wisdom. And it's interesting too, because I hadn't thought about that, but eventually Pierce leaves. They try to sort of replace him with a cantankerous old character, but they don't have that same wisdom. They just become almost like more sketches of cantankerous old people. It is interesting that Pierce had this built in from the beginning. He's a dick. You don't want to like him, but somehow he's also just someone who's lived a life. There's these moments where it's almost like, but he's not an idiot. Like he has learned these life lessons and I'm not excusing the bad character traits that he has. I Mm -hmm. hope it doesn't sound like that, but it is interesting that that was something the show seems to be conscious of is like, but he has something to contribute. And Mm -hmm. it's the fact that like, because of his sexism and racism and, you know, multiple marriages and divorces and all these and kind of pretentiousness about his company and his money and all these sorts of things. I think one of the subtle parts of this is, he spent a lot of time by himself and he's had to learn some hard lessons like, and not that we should necessarily redeem him for that or, but he has this wisdom to give. And that he, he wants to have those human connections. So he's not Mm -hmm. using dickishness as a way to keep other people at bay. He's just apparently not able to control it. (laughs) Um, He, you know, he wears his heart on his sleeve and sometimes it's sweet. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that too. Is that, yeah, there's such a naturalism to the way he acts it, Chevy Chase, but also the way it's written. It's just like, yeah, sometimes he just says something really honest and sweet and caring. Mm-hmm. Um, one other individual or like specific character subplot, and I alluded to this at the end of our previous episode, but you start to get this sexualization of Annie when she first walks up to Duncan in the the cafeteria, of course, Mm -hmm. and asks to be a part of the experiment, he says something like, at one point he cuts her off and is like, wait, uh, this has happened to me before. Like, you know, I'm not allowed to date students basically. But she's like, you know, really, I just want to be part of the experiment. But one of the things she tells him in her sort of spiel to him, you know, she's like, look, I want to be on this experiment. I want this for like whatever her resume. She says... I had a four, a 4.0 in high school um, and I had a brief addiction to pills that I was told would help me focus, but actually made me lose my, actually made me lose my scholarship and my virginity. Yeah. And it's just like, <laughs> like with uh, the Shirley moment, bashing a head into a, um, into a jukebox where you had said mm-hmm. like, man, you learned so much in that. Like you learned so much about Annie yeah. in this line. And as with Shirley and all the characters, we learn more about it as the show goes on. But this is one of the first moments where you really get a sense of Annie, the character. I mean, the things you learn about her is she's very smart. She, like I'm sure many people that found themselves on a community college campus are like, well, I'm just, I'm just here temporarily. Like she's mm-hmm. somewhat embarrassed about it. She obviously had this addiction and that's something that'll come up in the show. But I mean, it's also kind of sad. I shouldn't laugh about it. Like that there's a lot happening in that moment where she says mm-hmm. like, I made major life choices, some of which like negatively affected my life. And it's ambiguous the way she says that about losing her. Cause you can't tell if she's like embarrassed or ashamed or she thought it was a mistake or she's just stating it. You know, like I thought it was an interesting way to present that character to be like, Hey, some major shit happened when I was in high school, I got addicted the pills and it fucked up my college career and I had this like major moment in my life that features in all of the like John Hughes films that we have talked about are often referenced mm-hmm. not literally all but all of these 80s and 90s coming of age films are about somebody losing their virginity in one way or another <laughs> you know what I mean so I just thought that was it was interesting that this is sort of where that emerges and I guess I hadn't noticed that before but there's at least a subtle point to her sexuality mm-hmm. that you know, then becomes more of a part of the show. Yeah, it does. And it's, um, when, whenever they kind of introduce this, this aspect of Annie, I think you can tell that the characters are both like uncomfortable with sexualizing Annie and also realize like, well, she is an adult. I mean, look, they're adults, they're 18, they're in college, you know, but it's, it's interesting how they walk that line. 
Um, and then, uh, like I said, it just becomes more explicit as the show goes on. One yeah. other moment I wanted to mention was, so, you know, Duncan says to her like, oh, I've been asked out by students before or whatever it was. Later, when she's going in to sell the to the to the subjects in the Duncan experiment, the like, hey, you have to wait five more minutes. Mm -hmm. I don't know what you call that maneuver, but she does the thing where she like, you know, slides her hand over her face and like- Oh, like applying the mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, drawing the veil. Yeah, so she's got like kind of a wry smile and then she like, and just has like a stone cold look on her face. And there is something sort of like powerfully feminine and sexual about that look <laughs> in her face. And Duncan says, and it's so grody, but he's like, he says something like, oh yeah. He's like, I like that all day oh. <laughs> you're just like oh my god but again it's that sexualization of annie and it's particularly i think poignant to me watching it now because again there she is young and she's presented as just like always wears pink and purple and bows and like you know the outfits it's a i don't know it's an interesting subplot to this that i'm myself not always sure how I should react to it or maybe even like I'm not always comfortable with how I react to it you know what I mean and as the show goes on and we'll talk about some of this that becomes like an interesting like later later seasons how they handle like the Jeff Annie relationship and again like sort of how you're supposed to feel about it and I'll just be honest like I mean I'm like Jeff's age you know what I mean and so you're mm -hmm. watching this like I'm supposed to feel uncomfortable. But again, as you say, it's like, well, but the actors are of a certain age. And I mean, it's it's a TV show. They're all adult. I mean, it's a weird, it puts me in a weird space. <laughs> I mean, I'll just be honest. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you know, but when you were 19, you felt like you were technically an adult, right? But now yeah. that we're, you know, 40, 19-year-olds um, look like children. Oh. It's a totally different perspective. <laughs> and we should, we should definitely circle back to annie's uh kind of like character coming of age throughout the show and yes resisting that and the other characters resisting that because it, it it definitely recurs and and more and more obvious ways that's a great point now that you say that i'm thinking about it you know like i teach a class on a college campus i often refer to the students as kids <laughs> you know what mm -hmm. i mean not in the room to them but i mean to me they are kids when you're 19, 20, you think you really are an adult and on top of the world. When you're twice mm -hmm. that age, you're, I mean, even sometimes I've told like my sisters, like, oh my God, like this new fall crop of like freshmen, they look so <laughs> tiny. Like they yeah. look like kids. Like sometimes I just want, and I don't mean this to sound inappropriate, but like sometimes I literally want to give them a hug and just be like, you're a child. Yeah. We'll just send you home. Like you shouldn't <laughs> be here. There's, there's bad people here and they're going to influence you to do bad things. You know what I mean? But it's funny, the older you get, like the younger they look they look smaller and just like yeah. younger it's so it is but that's a great point there's this whole and I, I do think her sexuality is definitely a part of it but there's this whole like Annie growing up where the group resists it she resists it but interestingly Pierce is the one who wants to like cultivate that and not in a sexual way he just like I want you to be like a strong independent woman like I'm, <laughs> it's interesting couple quick hitters before I wanted to ask you sort of a, a more like larger meta question to close mm -hmm. out the show but just a couple of quick hitters like lines that I wrote down um Pierce talks about his inoculars and says it gives you sonic hearing to which Abed <laughs> says all hearing is sonic <laughs> yeah is I love that fucking great um there was the sorry I wrote these down oh they're ripping on Shirley and Jeff are ripping on Vaughn and Jeff says Vaughn's hair is professionally moist <laughs> which I thought was great but I also wanted to notice the first person they rip on is Pierce because Shirley says mm. oh, Pierce like he's not right he's not right in the head <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly exactly um when Shirley is suggesting that that Britta and Jeff should be a couple she says <laughs> um well, I wrote it down. She says something like, uh, oh, two cute white people going to school together just seems right. Yeah. <laughs> so you get another one of those moments of Shirley's like racial view of the world or racialized mm -hmm. view of the world, which we talked about that in one of the previous episodes. Duncan says to one of the people who leaves the experiment, one of the people in the experiment, in fact, it's Garrett when he walks out of the experiment because he's tired <laughs> of waiting for Abed, Duncan says, go kill John Lennon again, you loser. Yeah. Um, 
And so viciously. <laughs> so viciously. And then sort of last couple things. Uh, oh, Shirley's nickname from the other group that she got kicked out of, which again, great for bringing that up because it tells you there are other study groups on this campus. Mm -hmm. But her nickname was Tatalina. <laughs> and then, <laughs> I just thought was awesome. And then um, last two things. Britta walks up to Jeff after Jeff sees Vaughn and her making out like in the quad or whatever, like out in the mm -hmm. open as he's sitting there with Shirley. But she walks up to Jeff and he's kind of leaning his head on a, uh, what do you call it? Uh, oh, a vending machine. A vending machine. Thank you. And he, and he just looks up and goes, hey, I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> like something great. Like, he answers a question that she did not ask. But that's how you are in that moment. Like, you know, or like when you see like an ex that you haven't seen and you like run into them randomly or yeah, something. Because like you're the running street. the script in your you're, head exactly. of what I'm going to say. And maybe yeah. have been for weeks or months. Like, this is what I'm going to say when I see them. Yeah. I think you were unfair to me or whatever. But instead you see me like, hey, I'm doing great. I'm, I'm doing great. And they haven't said anything yet and you're just like shit like I so just showed them I'm not doing great I so just admitted that I have been waiting for this moment and I just fucked it up um oh, and then the last one just like these little lines that were funny to me when Vaughn sees that they're reading his poem in the study room he says this is the least tight thing that ever happened to me. So they just bring the so it's like he's always using that word tight or whatever it's just funny that he would that's how he would describe it it's like his life is a scale of tight to like not tight this yeah. is the least tight thing you know like yeah that's just his lens on the world and then maybe like one other tiny Vaughn moment that we can end on actually happens like right at the beginning of the episode where he's playing hacky sack it kind of in the background and, and Jeff um is, is still kind of trying to romance Britta in, in the foreground and um Jeff you know fails at this and right as he does so right in the <laughs> background Vaughn like goes to kick the hacky sack and ends up falling and just face planting and it's just such a beautiful punctuation mark at the end of Jeff's failure well because you can hear him say something like you know like, yeah yeah because he just tries to do like a big kick flip and then last thing I like mentioning the coda another Troy and oh, yeah. Abed coda they're ripping on people and making up voices for them as they're in the study room and these people are on the other side of the glass and as it turns out they can hear him because Jeff is like I can hear you 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 know you moron because of like, course they can it's just glass it's just glass but Troy's pretend like you're sleeping Pretend yeah. like you're just like just, just go to sleep. Pretend like you were sleeping, and the fact that if you pretended like you were asleep, that would be like a way to convince everybody that it hadn't happened or they shouldn't be upset right. with you. Like, well, I guess he didn't just say anything because he's asleep, so yeah. <laughs> I was just, mistaken. Just like Donald Glover, like tucks down into the couch, yeah. just like looks, <laughs> and I just like tells off. I just pretend like you're asleep. I just thought another one of their great codas those codas are really good and it's so fun to see that relationship which is another like major sort of pairing or interpersonal relationship oh yeah um Troy and Abed. yeah yeah, yeah. Troy and Abed last thing though and this is getting kind of meta before we close out today I know you and I have been talking about this sort of off mic or whatever and I love the way that you talk about this the way that you explain this the way that you frame it and and it was poignant it felt like for this particular episode because of the moment or the title being social psychology I just wanted to hand it over to you because I think you have like really interesting things to say about this that has helped me actually think about our show like our pod but also you know relating to one another as friends and fans of the but also of fans of the show but also being in this now one year on socially isolated, physically distanced world. Um, I wonder if, if maybe, and I'm sorry, that's like a vague setup, but you'll articulate <laughs> this much better than I will. I wonder if you could talk about that aspect of the social psychology. I'm using air quotes here again on a pod, but um, the social psychology and, you know, just the fact that this show is about community. Yeah. Um, it has been is such an interesting experience to do these podcasts about this show in this year where we have given up so much of our community experiences. Mm -hmm. I think that talking about this brings up so many details and ideas and observations and themes that I would never notice on my own. Any, any insights that we're having are not like things we came prepared with. These are 
things that are coming up organically in the conversation as we kind of, you know, go back and forth and talk about the show. Like, I would not uh, have the, the same ideas if I was just trying to like write a paper or something on community. The, these kinds of things like have to come out in a, in a social context. And I think that happens a lot for the characters on the show too, is um, they develop as people together in, in ways that they couldn't have if they didn't have this kind of like close familial relationship with, with each other. It's, you know, I mean, it's also just really fun. It's really nice in a time when everything is remote and you're always like playing like social defense, like, oh, don't want to get too close to that person in the grocery store to uh, talk so much about people who aren't doing that, who are having the daily like physical interactions and community without having to think about it. And as we kind of get like lost in the show and get really into talking about it with each other, I think that those walls come down too. And it, it feels more like, you know, we're hanging out in the office over lunch, like, you know, ripping <laughs> somebody else on campus when, you know, of course we're at opposite ends of town on our computers. No, it's so well said. And I mean, this is one of the things that I love about doing the show with you, our show with you is that, as you said, so I, I come in with notes or whatever, just like things that I want to talk about, partly because otherwise I feel like I won't focus. But you're right. I mean, for people who are listening, like we really don't talk about what the conversation will be. I usually write down like mm -hmm. two or three major plot points just so we can like, you know, talk about what the show's about. And I have my little notes more to myself to jog myself. But usually it's just like random things I notice or specific lines that I think are really funny that I want to be able to repeat verbatim or whatever. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. The way you and I have our conversation, it just unfolds organically. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really thought about this until really sitting down and doing the show with you and talking about it with you. But to do a fan pod about the show community in a time when we're all struggling and starving for community mm -hmm. and trying to find new technologically driven ways to create that community. But the show itself is years before the pandemic. So nobody's wearing face masks. Nobody's socially distanced. Everybody's just hanging out. It's the world we used to live in. Mm -hmm. So we're reflecting on the world we used to live in and what community used to be like everybody hanging out without a mask and like rooms together, just freely talking, eating, whatever, coughing, you know, like all sharing air. Yeah. Sharing air. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Yeah. Sharing air. And then, so we're reflecting on the show, the title of which is Community. It's about this small community at a larger community college, a smaller community being the study group, mm -hmm. and how over six seasons they grow as people, their relationships grow, the group dynamic grows, people leave the group, their interpersonal or pairing relationships change, you learn more mm -hmm. about them as people, each character matures and evolves, and they do that, as you say, because they have a community and it's mm -hmm. like a reflection of the human existence the human condition takes a village like we all grow and develop because we have a community mm -hmm. and for better or for worse we can be influenced you know to think and act one way or another but hopefully we all have a loving community we're a part of or at least an open and honest community that helps us evolve as individuals and so we're reflecting on that show the title of which is community and part of the reason we decided to do this, I think, if uh, and not to speak for you, but I know for myself, I was just bored and I needed something to do on the weekends. We've been mm -hmm. talking about doing this show. We finally kind of got off our asses. We're like, all right, let's start recording it. But we it's got given, the time. Yeah, we've got the time. But we've given ourselves this community. And it's been mm -hmm. great talking to you about this because... I mean, one, you're a friend and I just love, I love talking to you. But it's been great talking about this because of this meta aspect where it's like, oh my God, I'm like reflecting on the fact that you and I are doing this over Zoom because of the current situation, that situation is not reflected in this, in this show because this mm -hmm. is way before the pandemic. But there's this parallel that I think you so rightly articulate is that we're learning about how we communicate in this current pandemic world and how we create community in that and how important community is. And we all want to get back to the non-mask wearing, non-physically distanced, old, you know, normal world of having a community. But doing that about a show called Community that's so <laughs> well um, demonstrates and presents like the just 
the importance of friendship and the importance of community. Um, so I thank you for over the last few weeks, like helping me see that and articulating that just now, but also in our own conversations, sort of, you know, and talking about our pod, but it is an interesting, and for listeners, I don't mean to like, you know, make them nauseous. I hope this doesn't sound like too like self-righteous or pretend, but it's like, it's something that I think neither you or I knew was going to happen, that these conversations mm. would fold on organically. And one of them would sort of be this meta commentary on us trying to do something to build a community and the way you rely on community for organic verbal conversation that makes you see things that you hadn't seen before. Like every yeah. week when I sit down with you, Sandy, you say something where I'm like, holy shit, I hadn't even thought about that. And it's great. Makes Same. my day. Yeah. You know, it really does. It makes my weekend. So it's, it's great. And I'm so happy that you brought that up and that you articulated that just because I think that's partly what energizes me to do this show, but also it's what makes me love the show community that much more, even in doing this with you. Because there was definitely a part of me that thought, oh, maybe if I start watching it with this like, quote unquote, critical lens, I'm going to like not like it or enjoy it. But every mm -hmm. week when I sit down with you to talk about this, I'm just like, oh my God, I love this pod we're doing. And I love this show. Community is the best show. And that's also the last thing I'll say on that is like for people who are out there listening, you know, I hope that they're able to like communicate with us and get in touch with us. Just share your love of the show with us. Cause like one of the things we want to do is build a community somehow of people that love the show community, which they're already out there, but you know, just another attempt at that, I guess. Yeah. And you know, as we kind of like see in the show, having your own personal little community is great. Even if there is another study group on the other yeah. side of the side of Greendale. Yeah. Even if they do want to call us Tatalina. Yeah, you know, that's fine. Them. Our, our study group is pretty good too. Yeah. You're getting a little piercy. <laughs> that's well, let's hope that I never do get too piercy. <laughs> No, but, uh, but Sandy, thanks so much. That's awesome. And it's been awesome. Again, had a great time. Um, I guess we'll be back soon with our recap or our analysis of season one, episode five, which I wrote the title of down, but now I have forgotten it. Let me real quick, awkwardly pause and try to look this up for everybody. <laughs> Bear with me. Yeah. Nope, not going to happen, but it's... <laughs> Good call. Nice. Um, but anyways, we'll be back soon talking about season one, episode five, whatever the title of that episode is. Sandy, thanks again for the time and all the insight. This is fun as always. Super fun. And maybe at some point we'll actually find something to be critical of. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But, I, you know, in a way, I will say that we are critiquing it in the sort of... Yes. Um, you know, we're not criticizing, but we're critiquing. We're analyzing it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's definitely things to talk about. But you're right. Maybe at some point, one of us will take a strong stance on something we didn't like. But, uh, <laughs> we'll see. All right. We'll take care, Sandy. Have a good weekend. And thanks again. And yeah, well, you know, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back soon. Our theme music is Happy Dance by Cedric Galke. Please subscribe to Streets Behind wherever you get your podcasts.